Hello everyone, and welcome once again to the Red Dwarf Introcast, where longtime fans and, well, I guess we're not, not newbies. newbies! We have seen a lot of it. Um, so long-time well, except fans for the and, unproduced well, things and the books and, and the, the books <laughs> and fan fictions of various ilks. But anyway, this is the Red Dwarf Intro Cast, where longtime fans and newer fans journey together into the darkest, deepest regions of space as we talk about Red Dwarf episode by episode. This week, we are talking about Series Ten, Episode Six: The Beginning. We have gotten there. And we're going to find out what that is in just a moment. But first, uh, my name is Heath. I'm Angela. I'm Shane. And this week we have three special guests. I'm Alex. I'm James. And I'm Seb. Hello. Oh. Hello. Hi, Hello. We are just flushed with guests. And, you know, that's fitting because this is the last regular episode uh, of uh, of Red Dwarf. And wow, what an episode it was. Yeah. Um, so, I hey, uh, the enthusiasm. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, let's see. Hey, Shane, what is, uh, what's the beginning about? Hiding in an asteroid surrounded by similar death ships and a fleet of annihilators, the Dwarfers begin to wonder where it's the beginning of the end. Only one man can save them. Unfortunately, that man is Arnold J. Rimmer. That's that's one of the best pre-broadcast synopses that, that I think the Red Dwarf episode has ever had. <laughs> there you go. Well, uh, before we get too far into it, uh, would you all, uh, Alex, James, have like to uh, remind folks who you are and why you're here and where else on the interwebs you may be found? Uh, yeah, I'm Alex. I'm the co-editor uh, of the official Red Dwarf fan club magazine. Um, hey, um, And one of the team that runs uh the fan club event dimension jump uh i also run with my colleagues james andrew um the red dwarf fan site gazpacho soup uh where we have the garbage podcast and we also do uh a podcast on star trek the next generation called first contact which is really just something to hang messing about for half an hour a week on really oh it is brilliant i highly recommend it awesome and you guys have been on a roll lately Mm -hmm. what you mean we've actually released some episodes (laughs) yes yes Yes. (laughs) (laughs) we've still got the episode where we talk about wesley's jumper while pretending to be high coming up so (laughs) i there is an email in my inbox saying let's finish this season yeah, please, I, I, please. I've, I've, re- I've replied to that. <laughs> we need to see um, all the adventures with Tasha Yar. You know, we need to see what she gets up to for the rest of the season. Oh, the rest of the series. Oh, yeah. 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 So what you do is strange, but kind of good. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> so, uh, and okay, continuing on then. What, what else are you involved in, Alex? I think that's what most people know me for. Cool. <laughs> no, no one knows me for my music. I'm just a bitter artist. It's fine. <laughs> and James, how about you? Well, I've already been introduced, haven't I? Alex took everything from me. <laughs> <laughs> but the, he can never take your soul. Indeed. Well. <laughs> no matter what he does to you, he can't take away your dignity. Um... Well, 
<laughs> Uncomfortable Andrew, revelations. Andrew thought that, and then I re-edited all of his contributions. <laughs> nice. What about you, Seb? Uh, yes, well, hello, I'm Seb. Uh, I am the editor of reddwarf.co.uk, the official <laughs> Red Dwarf website. Uh, unfortunately, this means that as a professional Red Dwarf fan, uh, I can no longer compete in the Olympics as a Red Dwarf fan, which uh, is a shame. Yeah. Uh, I get by, anyway. Incidentally, um, I'm waiting on an admin to accept my membership. <clears throat> hint, hint. Ah, uh, yes, sorry. <laughs> there's been, we get a bit of a... I've, I had to turn on manual approval because of some spam bots, and uh, there's always a bit of a backlog to get through. I will, uh, I will look out for yours specifically. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, uh, thank you all for joining us on this, a very special episode of the Red Wolf <laughs> Introcast. Um, so, Angela and I have been having lots of fun because we ha- finally have been pouring through the Ganymede and Titan and RedDwarf.co.uk uh, forums and seeing what everybody's been saying about us. And Well, we're <laughs> retiring, so no, <laughs> not. Actually, it's been a lot of fun. It's been. I'm very hard <clears throat> to offend. And I'm just amazed that uh, we found so many nice comments. And Angela, you you were like finding uh, people commenting on what we thought about episodes in like fan fiction forums, weren't you? Yes, yes. There's a Red Dwarf uh, slash fan fiction forum, and uh, they uh, taught, they posted a forum thread when we reviewed the episode Blue, for obvious reasons. Ah. But it's very important to them. <laughs> And it was it was very nice. It was quite articulate. And why were you in and a slash forum, by the way? Because I was searching for uh, comments <laughs> on our podcast because I am very ego driven. To be go. fair, the the Red Dwarf slash Live Journal community is actually one of the most active discussion places in general about Red Dwarf. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they talk about the show generally, and they're more active than about you know ninety percent of other fan sites. So, yeah. You're gonna see that in most of the fandoms. Yeah. The, the slashers like to talk and discuss and pick apart everything. But I suppose very intelligent, especially a show like Red Dwarf with uh, such a, a small female presence. Then it's probably more of an inclination there. In fact, it's funny. I'm quite a uh, fan fiction aficionado, so I was just going to fanfiction.net and you know doing searches. And usually, when you get to like the character filter, then there's lots and lots of characters to go through. Uh, here there was eight. <laughs> eight characters to have, filter. Have you found, it's quite a famous one. I'm, I'm not a big fanfic reader, but there's one quite famous piece of Red Dwarf fic uh, that's been kicking around for absolutely years. It's called The Last Temptation of Crichton. Uh, <laughs> no, I haven't it, found that one. It's not what you'd think, but it has got an astonishingly clever conceit slash twist in it so i heartily <laughs> recommend going and reading that one cool it's quite no, no i found some pretty good uh chronicles of ace rimmer but not last temptation of Crichton yet and let's see what else have we been up to now that we're finally done oh weird thing okay we've gotten through every episode of the series and then the other day we were watching something over on That Guy with the Glasses by uh, Paul Duggan, who's just hilarious, uh, talks about music and movies, and he was talking about The Wizard of Oz. And suddenly I looked at Angela and I'm like, hey, Red Dwarf has a tin man and a lion. And then we figured out, yeah, and then Rimmer being a hologram is kind of a hollow shell of a person, so he's a scarecrow. And then you have the normal person just trying to get home. <laughs> 
It's taking well, us Rim, the... Rimmer it, is, a, is a self-declared munchkin, uh, as said well, in the parallel true. universe. That's <laughs> true. So, yeah, we've taken, it's taken us the entire series to realize that Red Dwarf is essentially the Wizard of Oz in space. The Wizard of Oz. That, that would also make Rimmer a friend of Dorothy, which would lend itself very easily <laughs> to, to the, the Slash, slash community. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Oh, you. Oh. <laughs> so, anyway, I suppose we should actually get to talking about this last episode eventually. What? I have a cold, yeah. by the way. Sorry for my voice. Me too. Yes. We're dying. Space mumps. Thank goodness yeah. that X amount a thousand miles away. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Can we make a digital virus? In Red Dwarf, yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and indeed be transmitted digitally. Well, thank goodness, Shane, for that thing that helped save us from the virus uh, oh, that you did. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> oh, we'll get to that at the end. So, this episode, uh, you know what? I think I may have seen one or two subtle references to Star Wars in there somewhere. Yes. <laughs> but I didn't see it. <laughs> Not going into the asteroid field. Be I think crazy in fact to we were. <laughs> We were saying that in the commentary before we even realized that it was going that direction. Yeah, we had the asteroid field, we had the space battles, we had the alien ships that looked a bit like TIE bombers, we had uh, Rimmer, I am not your father, from a hologram, we had (laughs) just all over the place. Who was not the same actor as in uh, Better Than Life, but looked very similar. Mm, Good match. Yeah, well, John, John Abinari, who played him originally, had passed away in, oh, yeah. in, the, in the interim. But uh, I think Simon Treves. Treves or Trevis? I'm not sure. <laughs> it's Alex, Treves. You, it's Treves, yeah. DJ. Uh, yeah, he did a fantastic job. Really, really good. Uh, especially when you see what he's like in real life, because he's he's so much more relaxed and has a much friendlier voice. So he really was playing that with a stick up his behind very well. <laughs> I think he was kind of... Uh, Channeling uh, John Cleves. Yeah, a little bit. Wait, you mean, In fact, you no, mean John Cleves? No, yeah, John Cleves. Yeah, sorry. No, no, I was just saying now that I think of it. I think I dimension jump. He actually mentioned through a bizarre coincidence that um, his family were friends with John Abinari's family, but he oh, didn't yes. know this. He didn't know that John Abinari had played the part of Rimmer's father until after he got the job, um, and then. Yeah. That's right. That. It was a lovely coincidence. He's also very good friends with another guest star from this episode, who I imagine we will get onto at some point. <laughs> mm. it, it was very like casting, wasn't it? The the yeah. Rimmer's father. Everything yeah. was very late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the young gentleman they got to play, uh, young Rimmer, was quite good. Philip yes. Laby. Philip Laby, fantastic. From, you know, for it, such a, a short performance, um, he just really nailed the mannerisms and everything. Mm-hmm. It's that little look that he does and the flared nostrils after yes. he's written a note on the yeah, piece of paper. Bit, yes. mm-hmm. and, and doing everything with barely any dialogue. Yeah, it just to be able to get it without saying a word, that's, uh, that's really good. Mm-hmm. As, as, soon, as soon as he walked onto the screen in that episode, I just thought there are going to be animated gifs of this guy on Tumblr within moments of the episode finishing, and sure enough, there were. It was a very sort of uh, Tumblr-friendly appearance, particularly with the fact that, as, as I think you pointed out in your commentary, uh, he looked rather like the Eleventh Doctor. Oh. <laughs> which, you know, <laughs> Doctor Who and Red Dwarf do share a costume designer, although Howard Burden didn't design Eleven's original costume, but he designed the costume from the Snowmen onwards. 
Oh, so, also, I didn't know that. Also, he yeah. is adorable. <laughs> this cute little baby Rimmer. Yeah. <laughs> they always get the most adorable actors to play young Rimmer. <laughs> but yes, yeah, it really helps scene. with softening the character. You know, it's sort of when you consider that at the start of the show, Rimmer's basically supposed to be the antagonist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it was from really from me squared onward that he develops into a more sympathetic, you know, co-protagonist with Lister, and it's it's stuff like that 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 really gets that across that you know Doug has a lot more sympathy for for Rimmer than than you might have thought from the first few episodes. Yeah, it was kind of odd um, that we got. I didn't expect this at all from the last episode. From this episode, I don't know if it'll be the last episode. Probably not, but you know, um, because we had gotten such a character progression and arc and ending with Rimmer through the whole Ace Rimmer thing, and then now it's like, yeah, we did that, but now we're just going to do this again because apparently seeing Rimmer grow as a person makes us happy. So let's go ahead and. <laughs> Yeah, we can't get enough of seeing Rimmer grow as a person, even if it means having to go back to a slightly ungrown <laughs> yes. version of him. Um, Which they but finally of hung a that... lantern on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I th- I'm pretty sure that Doug doesn't want to ever answer the question of which version of Rimmer it is. So, which means I get to stick with my uh, interpretation of it, which is that he is the combined... Because that basically the, the, the computer would have been recording... Um, series eight rimmer from the moment he came back to life the computer would have been storing his memories and personality so my belief is that series eight rimmer died and was then brought back as a hologram but with the also stored memories of original rimmer up to the point at which he left red dwarf <laughs> because he would have been stopped being recorded then <laughs> so that's my theory is that we have the amalgamated rimmer makes as much as matter. anything i suppose but whether you believe him or not, Doug says that he does have an explanation in mind. He said on a, a couple of podcasts now that oh. he does actually have in his mind what Rimmer it is. See, I'm, so. I'm sure he's also said that he doesn't. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Take it with a pinch of salt. But, Maybe he, he has developed one, but, but there have been occasions. I think after Back to Earth, he didn't. Maybe he does now. But oh, I, yeah. after Back to Earth, I don't think he did. Season 11, anyone? <laughs> well, he's he's mm. written the first three scripts. He certainly has. Awesome. Well, nearly yes, finished. But we're not third. allowed to talk about that. No. <laughs> Except on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> yes, we will have to figure out uh, how to go about the whole. If if it comes back with the series eleven, exactly what we're going to do is an intro cast. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, we'll all be newbies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But should we wait until the end of the season? I don't know. No. <laughs> so, um, we get uh, Rimmer. He's in school with father. I mean, sir. And uh, he but wakes to, up. To be fair, he had already divorced his parents by then. It's true. He looked older than 14. Yeah. He'd already, maybe he'd already divorced them. And maybe just through some unfortunate coincidence, he found himself rocking up at, for his first day at college. And who should be the lecturer but his dad? <laughs> Ooh, although... So if he had already divorced his parents and it was older than 14 there, which he looked about 16, then his father saying, I'm father at home here. I'm sir. Then it's, he's basically saying, I'm not your father already. <laughs> I'm father at home to the good kids. You suck. He's, you've, you've been doing this for 10 series now, and you're still raising series to series continuity questions. <laughs> like they're ever going to make sense. 
Oh, yeah, I know. Well, you know, I, that, we're only doing that because we've been going back and watching some old episodes. We've gotten nostalgic. Haven't gotten to backwards yet, but, you know, I'm sure someday. <laughs> no. Someday we will return. No. Someday. We have to do a, another review of that episode at some point very soon. Okay, still sucks. There we go. Oh, uh, no, I'm kidding. We'll watch it. We'll watch it again. Um, so, yeah, and then we get to meet a new character. A funny little yes. side character. Yep. Um, so yeah, Ho- Hoagie the Rogie. There's I don't know how much you know about this, but there is an interesting story behind Hoagie the Rogie and mm. who he is and the actor who plays him. First of all, did you notice or discover that the actor is Richard O'Callaghan, who had previously been seen as the creator in Back to Earth? No. Well, no. it was. <laughs> yes, it was. Yes. Um, basically, Richard O'Callaghan has been involved with Red Dwarf since the early 2000s when the movie was in development, mm-hmm. the movie that never happened. Um, he got to know, he got involved with the production. Basically, I don't think the plan was for him to play the character, but the character of Hoagie the Rogie was in the movie script. Ah. Um, and he, was, he came in when they were doing read-throughs of the script he read the character of Hoagie in the read-throughs so he was familiar to Doug when Doug was casting around for Back to Earth and obviously by, that, by the point of Back to Earth it looked like the movie wasn't going to happen and Doug cast him as the creator in Back to Earth we then learned of, for the first time of the existence of Hoagie the Rogie when his role in Back to Earth was being discussed on the DVDs mm. um, what we didn't expect was for Hoagie to then turn up in series 10 having apparently been lifted wholesale from the movie script and to have been played by Richard O'Callaghan and it was actually I think at at the recording when he sort of when that character first appeared and we sort of you know he looked like a little simulant but we didn't know who he was meant to be and it's not easy to catch the fact that at the beginning of their first encounter Lister calls him Hoagie but it's a very brief throwaway thing and it was only after they'd stopped recording that scene and the warm-up guy was introducing the cast and he said and as Hoagie the Rogie Richard O'Callaghan and there was this cheer from the audience from the section of fans who realised A that Richard O'Callaghan was back because Richard O'Callaghan he's been at conventions a couple of times now and he's a wonderful human being he's Aww. just brilliant he's, a, he's, a, he's an old actor who's been, he's been in like carry-on films he's been working for decades he's a proper old lovey uh, he's got so many fantastic anecdotes and he's just a great raconteur really friendly guy so charming so firstly it was great to see him back on the show because you know he was such great value uh, in his first appearance and secondly those of us who knew that Hoagie the Rogie had come from the movie we're all sat there thinking hang on are we watching a condensed version of the movie having been turned into an episode <laughs> I remember so bashing was... you and Capsy in the ribs going I'm sure <laughs> yeah. that's Hoagie the Rogue. this yeah. is the film yeah, <laughs> and you have to bear. I mean, we know so little about what was going to be in the movie. It was apparently going to be a reboot, and it was apparently going to have villains called Homo Sapienoids, who we suspect are also the simulants from this episode, which obviously we'll come to. And we know that Hoagie the Rogie was in it, and that's all we know about it. So to get that glimpse of it was fantastic. Well, and and the storyboards. Mm. That's that's. Uh, the, the only things that have been out to the general public, reddwarf.co.uk released some storyboards of some action sequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which we can now see. Woo-hoo. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so anyway, sorry, so you, you brought up Hoagie, but he is just brilliant. He's just very funny, isn't he? It was, yeah. Yeah. And I, think that's, favorite... I, I was baffled by the people after it was broadcast who thought he was saying, you kissed my brother. <laughs> <laughs> what? I never there got some that. Who, there were some people who thought that's what he said. <laughs> you guys picked up on the obvious Princess well, Bride homage pretty much straight away. Yeah. 
When obviously he said, you kids, my brother. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, no. made, made a joke with him. <laughs> Apparently, some, something that Richard said at the last Dimension Jump was uh, he was—he was—I think he was asked to do that voice for the character, that, that sort of corny Mexican accent, but he was given no explanation for it, uh, and he created an internal storyline in his head whereby <laughs> Hoagie was actually from Ricelip, which is a small, nondescript suburb in West London, um, but had just decided to talk in a Mexican accent because <laughs> he was a bit bored. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> But yeah, um, it, it really it worked for me. Um, and a lot of times, these little the beginning gags that you know, not not really central to the plot or anything, but they can fall through pretty easily. It, you know, they could have jar jarred it a bit, but uh, no, it, it, I thought it was funny. And the no, poor, I, sorry, I and the poor actor could barely see to that costume. Uh, yeah, I thought yeah. his eyes yeah. were pretty well covered. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. yes. Uh, I think my favorite part, and I think the part that made that character work, uh, other than, you know, just the actor being fun, was the fact that they've been doing this a long time. Mm. They sort of have this old rote companionship with him that is just sort of twisted. I like it. Really like that idea. It's a really lovely sort of, it, partly because it helps, because obviously we've, you know, we know so little about the, the nine year gap. Mm-hmm. That it's you know, and it's and so firstly, it fills in a little bit of that background, and secondly, the fact that you've got this thing where they're just so weary and bored of Hoagie coming back again, it just drives home one of you know the themes of this series, which is you know they're in their forties now and they've been drifting in space for two decades and they're a bit directionless. You know, it's really sort of uh, yeah, I, I liked that that little hint. You know, and it meant that you didn't have to waste time setting him up as well yeah. it wasn't the first time he bumped into them so you didn't have to have the whole confrontation you know and it was it, the fact that they knew who he was and they knew that he wasn't serious it was a bit of a lampshading of the oh somebody comes and attacks them and challenges them to a duel and then they just turn around and go oh come on this again it's a very <laughs> red dwarf yeah. kind of thing to just take that trope and then just turn it into something silly and a bit boring you know Love it. And even though they're in their 40s now, we know that eventually, maybe in Series 11, they're going to find a fountain of youth or something so that when Lister marries Kachansky and Rimmer grows that sweet mustache, they'll look much younger. Also, robot hand. Robot hand. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we've pretty much given up on that, too, I think. So... um, and they find out that their good pal Hoagie has accidentally uh, led a death ship uh, to their uh, to the red to Red Dwarf, and uh, that concern would be uh, a pretty good uh, normal reaction to a replicant uh, death ship. Or not? I'm sorry, not replicant. Simulant. What did I say? Simulant. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, you got yeah. me thinking about uh, Blade Runner again. Yes, simulant <laughs> death ship. Oh my God, the simulants. Yes. If you oh listen to goodness. the commentary, you would hear s- some of the most surprised, sustained laughter from us. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> great one-off villains there. Yeah. It's it's rare to have sort of characters having scenes to themselves without the Red Dwarf mm-hmm. crew involved. Yeah. But those scenes are strong enough that it really carries it. I mean, yeah, that's some of the funniest stuff in the whole series 10. Those scenes, they're so, and it's and the performances as well. You know, everything sings about those scenes, as short as they are. You know, you know what you have to do. 
Oh my. Oh. There is a. That's definitely one of the scenes that I remember getting the the biggest laughs at any recording that I was at. Yeah, that long and sustained laughs as well. I mean, it helps when it's a pre-record, but I hate they got blown up. We we could have had a (laughs) spin-off. Simulants in space. Um, there's a there's a story I, I think it comes up briefly on the DVD and I've seen it mentioned elsewhere. I don't know how true it is, although I, I considered it true enough to, to mention it on the the site. That apparently Gary Cady didn't really know that he was making a comedy until he turned up to do this to do his first scene. So that might explain <laughs> why the, uh, uh, the Gary Cady was the uh, Dominator's Lurth, the you know the, the lead guy. That might yeah. explain why he's got that air of menace and that he might have thought he was doing a serious drama. Uh, well, you know, and also. Uh, as as you see in just about any uh, American movie, posh British accent equals evil. So yeah, it does. <laughs> uh, evil or elderly butler. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh. But no, I thought it worked. I never understood why all know. the Imperial people in Star Wars had to have like faux British accents. It's weird. Because the British are the bad guys. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I never heard the original voice of Darth Vader. Oh yeah, baby. Yeah. What I'm saying. What I'm saying. It's from your part of the world, isn't he, Shane? Yes, he is. Yes. You are a part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. <laughs> <laughs> I met. It's a story a few people have said over the years because a few people have had the same things. But I met Dave Prowse, and I remember someone asking him, uh, oh, "Are you sad that they uh, never used your voice?" Jokingly, and he went, "Yo, I don't know why they never used it. I thought it were fine." yeah well george lucas didn't tell him was the thing that's the sad part well george lucas said to peter serafinowicz when he was doing the voice for darth maul when he wanted direction on how to do the voice george lucas said be evil (laughs) (laughs) thanks for that george oh George, uh, I truly, deeply for love you. <laughs> anyway. When Natalie Portman so- asks for direction, he says, be woman. <laughs> get off the Star Wars tangent. Sorry, get off the Star Sorry, Wars tangent. Yes. Yes, <laughs> That's right. Even after reading all the comments in the forum, we will still tangent forever. <laughs> hey, but hey. Red Dwarf started it this time. Yeah. Yes. Lots of Star Wars references here. So what did you think of the incredibly complicated and incredibly expensive Death Ship set? set. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, I was... I like the candles. <laughs> I was uh, impressed with, uh, with the model work this episode, which uh, I think, you know, you ah. probably, you might have heard on the commentary, we were saying, oh, wow, yeah, they just saved up their entire season budget for this, but apparently that's <laughs> not the case. It couldn't be fit. That couldn't be further attempt. from the truth. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, the, the models, uh, the model shoot um, was scheduled for the end of production. And then at the last minute, Doug was told that the model shoot was being moved forwards. Um, now, oh. the problem with that was that they, they had um, a Red Dwarf. They had uh, uh, Blue Midget, which had been made as a, a reference model for doing the remastered uh, episodes, and uh, they borrowed a Starbug from Mike Tucker. Uh, but they didn't have anything else made 
so uh, what you ended up with was uh, the death ships and the annihilators being cobbled together right at the last minute in a disastrous model shoot because even the models they had hadn't been uh, uh, touched up for HD and so nothing looked right. There's also the fact that Doug wasn't able to direct that model yes. shoot because it was having to happen at the same time as the pickup week of, of, of extra scenes being shot. And Doug wanted to be able to direct and oversee the model shoot and wasn't able to. Um, and yeah, so I, th- I think that affected the fact that he wasn't able to be there and, you know, sort of say this is working or this isn't working. So I think it's part of the reason why he was unhappy with it. And, uh, and of course, they, they, they didn't have meteorites, so they used scrunched up. <laughs> black paper yeah yeah but the point is what we're talking about here is the first model shoot this is the stuff you didn't see until you got the until you get the dvd and see it on the special features what they basically did afterwards was they called in bill pearson uh who works out of shepparton which is where red dwarf is shot uh is an old friend of the production uh he worked on the models for series eight did he do series eight and he did various bits from four onwards uh like the uh the the control panels in yeah, Starbucks sort of, and all sort supp- of things like that. Supplementary to the main BBC models, he, he did some stuff. Uh, so he um, was called in, and Bill is an expert at finding stuff on his shelf because he's a, he's a model maker with decades of experience. He's mm-hmm. worked on various movies and stuff. So he is an expert at, at very short notice and for very little money, cobbling together stuff off his shelf and making it look great. Yes. <laughs> Basically, Basically uh, the, the Death Ship is the model that's been made new, the Annihilators, uh, he had a model sat on his shelf because after Series 8 went out, uh, Bill, uh, he wasn't commissioned to do so, but he wrote a Red Dwarf script for a Christmas special, which he was then like, planning to pitch to Doug. Uh, and as part of that, he made all the models for that episode. Hmm. Uh, so he just took the Annihilator off the shelf he's still got some models left there so should doug need a submarine i've been to the studio i've seen it there bill show me it's very nice so if there's a submarine story that could be used <laughs> see and I've... that is great and in fact it's really fitting for a star wars homage because they were like raiding model airplane and model ship kits mm. to make uh, the surface of the the death star so yeah i mean it looked very i guess that would kind of account for the the visual similarity i suppose but that's what they were going for and it works works really well has bill had any ever had any kind of star wars connection no know, like, he's he's connected there's a lot that he's alien with, but, uh, <laughs> alien, yeah. alien um, and various things like that but not star wars no space precinct uh, was <laughs> uh james bond uh he did uh oh god was it tomorrow never dies and die another day i think hmm but yeah, so what you, what you were getting was the hastily done second pass at the models. But yeah, I think, I mean, it came out really well. I, so I think I remember you commenting way back at the start of the series on the, uh, you know, the, the, the shot that they used in the opening titles, which I think is phenomenal, of the, of the Annihilators flying over Red Dwarf, attacking it, I think mm-hmm. just looks amazing. Yeah. I, I think the two, the two best in the episode are the, the Bloomagit flying through the asteroid belt and weaving mm-hmm. in and out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then that shot right at the end of the, the title sequence with it flying away from the flames. 
Did you know? Did you notice that because they, they used that on the title sequence? But if you compare the version on the title sequence with the version in the episode they on the title sequence, they blacked out the ship so that you can't see what's blowing up. Nice. And I think they wanted to hint that it was Red Dwarf blowing up because ah. you see Blue Midget flying away from it. Well, so you if, spend this whole series going, "What's blowing up at the end of the series?" Well, if you remember the the warm up man for four of the six recordings, Ray Peacock. I, I think it was a, the recording for Dear Dave told the audience that they should uh, take to Twitter, take to Facebook, take to the Red Dwarf website and say that they'd been shown a trailer for the Red Dwarf movie, which some, <laughs> which some people did. Uh, and one of the only things that we have from the Red Dwarf movie is uh, uh, a sort of leaflet that was created to pitch the movie, which on it features a sort of rough mock-up of what a a homo sapienoid might look like, and a picture of Red Dwarf uh, like breaking uh, in two, well. blowing up in the middle and breaking in two. And so because of people saying, oh, we saw something for the film, and then um, that footage, people were convinced for ages that uh, it, it was a connection, especially because before the series went out, um, Doug had said that the sixth episode would be taking parts of the movie script. Yeah. But Lemons also took part of the movie script as well. It did. But the beginning was the one that took the most. I mean, yeah. the vast majority of its plot is sort of... I'm not, sh- I'm not sure about that, because Doug has said it's, it's, Doug has said oh, it's not as much as people think. And I don't think that any of the Rimmer stuff is from... I no. think the simulant stuff and the hoagie stuff would have been the kind of... I, what I imagine, and I don't know how true this is, that the first half of the film would be a kind of retelling of the origin, and the second half would be, after all the crew are dead and they're alone on the ship, they get attacked by the simulants, and you've got the second half of the story. Oh, um, it, I don't think that the Rimmer background would have, would have come from the movie script. That, that's sort of loosely what I'm, I'm told about by Bill, uh, <laughs> of the structure of the movie, slightly different but that's that's more or less what i understood but uh yes doug has said somewhere else that he had that plot for rimmer for that series uh and just wasn't sure what episode it was going to go in mm. I, I seem to recall on it was, fathers, it, was, it was fathers and sons it was originally meant to go in oh and paralleling it against list yeah that makes sense and then it was later moved but, into but i'm sure i've heard doug talk about the um the opening scene with hoagie and he said that that was the original opening to the film where, you know, you've got Hoagie going through each cast member and kind of reintroducing them. The thing is, there's so many drafts of that film, it could yeah. be. <laughs> I was going to ask, because it's been drafted and redrafted and redrafted. In, that, you know, it was an early draft of the I've film. Heard, but... when, when, whenever you ask Andrew Ellard um, what happens in the movie script, his response is, which version? He's like, the £6 million version, the £12 million version, the £30 million version. Wow, there that are is a really heavy script. For different possible budgets. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say, though, that from what I've heard of the film, especially uh, the version that is sort of reboot the series thing, mm-hmm. kind of glad they didn't do that. I, I, I don't know. It's, no. it's, 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 you know, it's easy to say, it's easy to say that now because yeah. we've had, you know, we've seen what the series is capable of when it actually just carries on. But in the years between sort of 2000 and 2008, when it was, you know, it's a bit like the, in the Doctor Who wilderness years, you would have taken anything. You would have taken an animated yeah. series. You know, you had things like the big finish and stuff. It's like anything to grasp onto. So the movie, I mean, I've no doubt that the movie would have been great if it had been made. But I do think a TV series is preferable because that's where 
Red Dwarf thrives. And yeah, I mean, now that we have had a great series since, we're able to say, yeah, it's good that they, you know, carried on and did the series and didn't, and, didn't abandon it. And the other thing is, I don't think people, or a lot of people we know, were that concerned about it being rebooted for a film. Uh, just because we always assumed that it would take more or less the same path as the first book did, mm-hmm. uh, telling more of the backstory. And, you know, that, that first Red Dwarf book is so beloved that I think people were relatively open to it. Of course, you saw what happened when they did try to bring back Doctor Who with a movie. We got a <laughs> solid performance for a doctor, but a wreck of a story. <laughs> I still quite like the TV movie, but the yes. T- the TV movie, <laughs> the no, the TV thing, movie yeah. is great. Who am I? I love the first 15 minutes, 20 minutes of that was the vest of McCoy. After that, I switch off. McGann is great. The bit with the shoes is so good. McGann is, gr- is great, but that story was so far from the Doctor Who mythos. It was just... <laughs> The master if being all. If you think TV movies bad, read some of the scripts for some of the other proposed movies because some of those were. <laughs> Last of the Time Lords. <laughs> Last, yeah, Doctor Who and uh, meets Scratch Man. The, um, the, the 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 American TV series that was going to happen where Barusa was the Doctor's father and lived in the crystals at the heart of the TARDIS. Mm. Uh, yes, and was basically was his companion. <laughs> I've never read any of those, actually, I have to say. so. There's a few books out there. That, there's a book called The Nth Doctor, which isn't very good, but does detail them. And there's a book called Regenerations, which is all about how they got to the TV movie. Yeah. And that has lots of concept artwork and details about the... It's great. It's a really good read. And there's also uh, a documentary on the TV movie DVD called The Seven Year Hitch, which is very good for that. Nice. Anyway, Red Bull. Yeah, let's not get yeah. too yeah, derailed. Yeah, not our fault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not to derail us. The, the one last thing I will say is that since we we got to see a little more McGann and that Night of the Doctor, I would really love to see just maybe a short series run of some mini episodes about McGann's Doctor. I think they could still do it and it would be brilliant. Yeah. They yeah. exist. They're on CD from Big well, Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're great. I mean, him on the screen, though. <laughs> yeah. I think I, th- I I don't think you'd find many fans who would disagree with you on that one. He's he's wonderful and a fellow scouser. Well, there you go. Uh, let's see. Where were we in the episode before we get to Star Wars and Doctor uh, Who? Um, we just had the simulants, <laughs> right? The yeah. simulants, hilarious. And the mod- with their candles, and then they go and hide in the asteroid <laughs> field. The therapy. <laughs> uh, we get the uh, I want I want you to challenge and disagree and. <laughs> Again, that, those, these villains, man, they are hilarious. I love them. The, the timing of that. Um, yeah. I think they ended up retaking it a few times at the recording, but the, when the kill him line, uh, yeah. that's so perfectly timed on the first take <laughs> and just got such a good reaction from the audience. I think they retook it two or three times, but the one that they used was the first one because that, 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 way, that moment, yeah, that was just classic comic timing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And one of those great moments where the audience properly reacts to something, and you have to have, you know, you have to hold while you wait for the audience to finish applauding. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's uh, see then, and then we get. Uh, oh yes, we get the the Tao of Cat here. Cat suddenly becomes <laughs> the fount of all knowledge for Rimmer. Yes, he becomes the ship's counselor, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well you know cats cats sense things cats can sense for example when you're trying to do a podcast and they will walk up to the microphone and, and make lots of noise <laughs> there you go. Uh, they could also sense when you've got deep-seated father issues <laughs> yeah. 
I actually I liked that moment quite a lot. I think it would have been a yeah. nice running gag to do that just every few episodes. <laughs> but uh, we, we rarely saw that though. Cat would occasionally come up with a with an idea from left field, but um, yeah, this was a good good comic moment. Interesting that Lister uh, Lister usually does come up with ideas, but he's out of ideas now. He's pushing it on to Rimmer. Yeah, it was kind of the the needs of the plot outweighed the character continuity, (laughs) as we know. I mean, if you think about it, there's not really a great deal for Lister in this episode. I mean, most of most of Lister's stuff is at the start, and Mm -hmm. once uh, once you get to the point of abandoning Red Dwarf, it's it's Rimmer all the way, really. Mm -hmm. Of course, if we if we had had a finale that was about uh, Lister tracking down Kachansky, then maybe. it would have been a more Lister-heavy episode. Yeah. You kind of wonder if maybe if this episode would have been earlier up in the order and then, you know, if they kind of wanted to do the finale that they might have wanted to do instead. But uh, we didn't get that. Well, yes, which I don't know if, be, yeah. if you're aware of. Originally, the series was going to finish with a two-parter where they find Kachansky. Uh, yeah, this, this is why this, listening to to all the other episodes where you've gone, oh, there's hints about Kachansky, and oh, that is Kachansky going to come back? And we've had to bite our tongues because we can't say to you, you know, that uh, the whole yes. thing about that plot line being abandoned. But uh, yeah, that was going to be the finale, and it okay. was abandoned because because of the fact that what were going to be the final two episodes were abandoned for budgetary reasons, and because they couldn't do the location stuff that they were going to do. So that's why Dear Dave in the beginning were cobbled together at such a late stage Um, but if the you know I mean you never know we might see them in series 11 if there is a series 11 we don't know if there's going to be but um, it seems to be on Doug's mind and it seems to be the plan it just we didn't quite get to it with series 10 but I don't think you were wrong in picking up on the hints that were being dropped throughout the series because we certainly all thought that as well so I mean it, it would have been very easy to just ignore it altogether and not mention it and the fact that those references are still in there it, it does suggest that it is building to something i mean i remember a lot of people thought at the time that uh when they de-evolved uh yeah. the chimp in entangled lots of people assumed that would be kachansky right mm-hmm. and then five and six being the wrap up with with them that would make yeah. sense it would but seem, you know oh, i well. seem to remember hearing somewhere that, that doug mentioned that one of the on the, one of the episodes that wasn't made was meant to be set in a circus. It's on the documentary for series ten. He talks about potential locations, saying that they couldn't have them anymore because they couldn't have location filming. Uh, you can't go to this anymore. You can't go to this anymore. You can't go to the circus anymore. <laughs> Greatest show in the galaxy. <laughs> I just picture like. Doug going up to Dave Network and saying, but I want to go to the circus. No, you can't go to the circus. But I want to. <laughs> I mean, it is a shame, though, when, when budget issues get in, the story, get in the way of storytelling. Well, they always get in the way of storytelling with Red Dwarf. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's one of those things that some of the best episodes of Red Dwarf have been born out of a last minute scramble to throw things together. I mean, they are out of time, for example. Mm. And I mean, the beginning is very much an example of that. I mean, uh, Doug had a basic idea in mind, and I think then really just went to town taking ideas he had from elsewhere and uh, a sort of overarching plot from the film idea and some bits of the film and, all, and, and also stapled them together and it, and it worked 
Um, you know, and, and another episode that was abandoned because it couldn't be done for budgetary reasons was the original closer for series eight, uh, which would have been the episode where Red Dwarf crash landed on Earth. And obviously, if we had had that ending for series eight, we wouldn't have had Back to Earth in series 10. So that's another example of good things coming out of the budget constraints. Because series eight ended on a cliffhanger, they were able to carry on and do more. Well, and if, with... if it had had the definitive ending it was going to have, then, you know. And with series four, uh, there was an episode where they would have gotten back to Earth in series four. <laughs> hmm. Why do they keep trying to get them back to Earth so soon? <laughs> <laughs> Because, well, at that point, possibly because uh, Rob wanted to leave. <laughs> well, mm. It's another story. Yeah. And Doug was like, no. <laughs> it's mine. I will keep it. It is my precious. <laughs> oh, and speaking so... of uh, cliffhanger endings, yeah. the series finally acknowledges that it has yet to answer <laughs> what happened yes. at the end of Only the Good. <laughs> I have a feeling that if Doug had shown his face at the end of the recording, he might have been lynched by the fans <laughs> for the reaction that that moment got. I, I mean, you it. can hear it on the laugh track. Yeah. I love it so much. Uh, reminds me of uh, spoilers for anyone who has yet to watch series three of Sherlock, but uh, series two of Sherlock ends on a kind of cliffhanger slash mystery. And, there are some theory or theories uh, put about about how that happened, but they no. did not really come to definitive conclusion. Yeah. Yet. No closure there, yeah. No. I, I, think I, I, I think there's more closure than people say, but it's a matter of interpretation. I think the answer that you're given is the answer, but that's another story. <laughs> and fundamentally, let's be perfectly honest... There is no answer that really would have been satisfying. Mm. Yeah, so and, it, that, and that I is think the, it's the same with Red Dwarf. They could have given. I, th- I think yeah. it's the same with Red Dwarf. It's been so long, and people have had so many ideas cooked up. And the, there's the complication of the fact that even you know, even Doug has explained some of the story ideas that were going to be the ending that weren't used. Um, you know, he can never just pick <laughs> one answer for how Series Eight ended. He can only leave it open to interpretation. I think. So I think it's the best way to approach it. Thankfully, uh, it we clever. know that Ace Rimmer came in and saved everyone. <laughs> so that's why they're quibbling over Rimmer actually saved them or not. If he you just, like. <laughs> he, he didn't want another situation like Tika to ride, where you've got five minutes of Lister just explaining to the screen what happened. Yeah. <laughs> and yet Doug has still said several times that he hasn't finished with Series 9 because there's never been a Series 9 of the show and he hasn't he hasn't finally dealt with uh, what happened at the end of Series 8. And I kind of think, no, just just leave it. It's fine. Hmm. Quit picking but at it. You can, you can never be entirely certain that he's being totally honest there. Yeah. <laughs> Rule one, Doug lies. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Let's see then. Then we get our big uh, reveal uh, after he watches the video that Rimmer is not exactly a Rimmer. Uh, That his father was Dungo the the gardener. Dennis. So the big question is, what does this say about Howard? I think Howard was his father's son. 
But Howard was just as pathetic as Rimmer. So oh, yeah. I see. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if Howard was also Dungo's son and John and Frank were actually Rimmer Senior. Or, or it's possibly just that, that Rimmer Senior is, doesn't have as good genes as he thought he did. <laughs> well, you know, he, because let's face it, we've seen that he's a pretty petty and spiteful and horrible man. So. He is, and, and he never got into Space Corps. He was too short. Yeah. So that's why he's a lecturer and not... Uh, not that there's anything wrong with teachers, he said, backtracking because his mother <laughs> and sister. <laughs> well, it's been, it was established quite early on that Rimmer's um, mother is um, seeps around is the probably the best of work I think of it. So yes, um, yeah, we can't be sure that any of uh, <laughs> the Rimmer brothers are actually. Uh, Rimmer Senior. Do we know? Do, do he never gets a first name, does he? He's just. Ooh. No. Rimmer Senior. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. Rimmer Senior, lecturer Rimmer, that's all we've ever had. Yeah. But, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, the, the question with this really, I mean, aside from the Howard thing, is whether you think it undermines Rimmer's character. I don't particularly think oh. it does. I don't know what you guys think. No, it doesn't no. at all. I mean, your parentage doesn't have anything to do with you like it doesn't change you if you find found out that you have different parentage and he was still raised by the yeah, man he still grew up with those unreasonable expectations yeah and it still shaped the character that that he became and i loved how uh skipping ahead just a bit i i loved how he he turned that to his advantage and he was able to sort of cut the power that his dad has had over him his mm. whole life. The only the only problem is if it's going to... I mean, there's a lot about this episode that works so brilliantly if it is the last ever episode. It's um, true. And because and what I love about... I mean, I'm skipping ahead a little bit as well. What I love about what it does, it's, it's what I've described before as what I call the future armor ending which is the perfect kind of ending in that it doesn't rule out future stories, but it gives yeah. you all the emotional closure that if it is the last story, it's ended on a perfect note. Yeah. The problem with something like the Rimmer Revelation is the fact that, you know, as far as we know, and they are trying and hoping to make more episodes and carry it on, so will this affect how they approach Rimmer, or will Doug take his usual approach of, you know, the thing with Red Dwarf is that whatever happens, the characters get kind of put back to their, yeah. their ideal state and that's very much what happened with series 10 the characters were almost like the platonic ideal of each of the, of the four characters in, in series 10 in terms of you know there's moments where the cat acts all series one cat like Crichton is a lot more like the Crichton of old you know and mm-hmm. but if you're going to change Rimmer in that way are you going to change him long term or are you going to make a gag out of it at the start of the next series that actually he's acting like he always has and it hasn't really changed him in the long term I think they could, they could do either but, you know, Rimmer, is, is he's always had uh, a false basis for his confidence and pride in himself. He could find another besides his parentage, yeah. <laughs> if, you know, yeah. easily, if, if yeah. the script wanted to, to do another reset button. I, I think it will follow a similar sort of line to, to Lister. I mean, at the end of Back to Earth, you've suddenly got a Lister who's, who's motivated, has a purpose in life. And then with Series 10, you have bits of that i mean you have at least trying to be a better father to himself and those sort of things but <laughs> fundamentally you know he's he's got this driving yes i'll go and do it later yeah <laughs> he can't and help I kind of think it'll be a similar line yeah. yeah and probably yeah rimmer can't help being rimmer as much as he might try to change exactly and the thing about red dwarf is that it's a show really about time 
Like, you have infinite amount of time and nothing to do. So even if you have revelations, even if things happen to you, it's all about living your life with yourself and sort of that people essentially don't change at their core. You know, that that you can mature a little bit and you can have these revelations, but that's not really going to change the core of your being, which for Rimmer is neurotic and egotistical and <laughs> bitter and all of It's funny that you use those two words back to back because I think that's, that's the thing that's at the core of Rimmer's character is like, how can one person have those two extremes in their personality in that he is both egotistical and yet incredibly neurotic and hates himself? It's like, <laughs> somehow it manages to work. It's like the two polar opposites come together to make that character. And they, they explore that throughout with like Rimmer World and whatnot but oh, yeah. yeah, so he's egotistical he feels that he should be further on because he deserves to be in a position of power. The fact that he's not is clearly the fault of parents, universe at large, whatever he feels like hating on on a particular day. Mm. So he... And like, yet his own subconscious hates him and destroys because he knows in, in better yeah. than life. Deep yeah. down he knows it's yeah. his own fault but he can't handle that on a daily basis, so usually he just hates on everything else. <laughs> this is why, in case I haven't made it clear, I think Arnold Rimmer is the greatest character in television history. But uh, that's just me. Certainly. Agree. Just oh, ahead of the Doctor. <laughs> can I take one step back and say no. timetable? Oh, the timetable. Time we love table. the timetable so much. <laughs> the, uh, yes. Yeah, excellent work of the, the design department uh, there. <laughs> And there, That's a, such I'm, a good freeze frame moment. <laughs> yeah, we did go back and pause it. And I'm really glad that I have read the first novel and got to read the full details on his timetable habits. <laughs> yeah, that's true, because that that, that's more of... I mean, you know, there's been mention of revision timetables in the early series, and there has always been, in the background of the set, there's always been a revision timetable on his bunk. But that is much more of a nod to... Uh, to the book fans you know the sort of the idea that it's something that he has created to prevaricate and the best detail is that in the very 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 bottom right hand corner half of a square is given over to actually coming up with the plan it's not even, it's not even <laughs> half a square it's a bit of a quarter yeah <laughs> the only entry snacks. the only entry I remember on the timetable was I did it the right way <laughs> Adolf the Hitler books, yeah, yeah. I like the, uh, there was like two areas for snacks, and on the second one it says, don't have the same snack twice. (laughs) Diversity. (laughs) (laughs) And he has to to have some snooze breaks in there as well. Well, yeah, of course. Ponder slash free time. Yes. (laughs) Ponder. And that's scarily similar to uh, some of my... uh, plans when working i joke about that and yet i have four classes worth of papers to grade right now what am i doing with my life podcasting (laughs) about red dwarf anyway back to red dwarf the the thing that really just on on the subject of the time table i mean the the exams bit in the first novel is pretty much one of my favorite things about the entirety of red dwarf i think the reason for it is that i got back into the show when i was at university and (laughs) i was on the verge of failing which i did eventually fail my first year I, i had to do research to carry on um and out around the time that I wasn't revising for my exams or doing enough work, I was reading the first Red Dwarf novel, <laughs> and I got to that whole and it struck a painful and yet very amusing chord. Yep. So I've never been able to shake that one, really. Yep. <laughs> there with you, man. Oh. 
Let's see, then. He has his timetable. Uh, he finally gets rid of his fatherly issues and comes up with a plan and has to fight for that plan, even though, like, Crichton <laughs> rarely disagreed so vehemently with him, but, you know. <laughs> I suppose if he's got Lister on his side, he can, he can side with the living yeah. human. <laughs> hmm. Which I had sort of thought of that plan as soon as they had <laughs> the done. Yeah, we both had. And also because I you've seen Blink. Uh, I've seen um, Blink. Yeah. I've yeah. seen, um, oh, uh, the finale to Astonishing X-Men. Yeah, the Joss Whedon run. Yeah, and you know, especially when he says uh, judo style, then I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. It's really lucky that simulants happen to surround you on a two dimensional plane at twelve, three, (laughs) six, and nine. (laughs) And well, they they took their uh, battle strategy from Khan. Yeah. Because, you know, it's space. They couldn't possibly go slightly up or slightly down. No. no space is two-dimensional. Yes. That is one thing with this episode, and a Trojan, that you get in this series that you've never really had before, which is a joke with a model shot. This mm. is the first series, really, to make jokes with model shots. I mean, you have the one we of had, the Trojan being we had towed. dancing blue midgets, sir. That's the funniest thing that I actually <laughs> know. That sucked. <laughs> that sucked. I'm sorry. <laughs> CGI. Anyway. It was, it was. <laughs> um, yeah, we should no, never refer to that as models. Yeah, good it's, point. It's, but it's, it's, it's never referred to it again. <laughs> get it? Um, the, the, yeah, the reveal, because you've got the sort of the ships around them and then the big one coming round into view. It is a nice little uh, yeah gag constructed in the edit there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, practically uh, and- it's a bit convenient that they happen to attack in that exact way. Well, Rimmer, from his reading of Battle Strategy, new simulant <laughs> strategy was going to be on a grid like that. So, and on, yeah. And on the bright side, they finally met someone who could shoot straight. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he knows everything about simulant battle strategy, even though he asked whether he should be concerned about a simulant death ship. Well, that was him being sarcastic. I see. Okay. Good. It's been accounted for. <laughs> yes. I love. That's reminded me of a gag we missed talking about, but I'll, I might save it for the quotes, which I wasn't going to have, but it's uh, it was a good gag when they're when they're hiding. Um, mm-hmm. It's a it's a bit it's a bit of lamp shading. Yeah. Yeah. I and loved then... loved 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 his call over to the simulant ship. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And I love that the thing is, the thing about that as well is you can kind of, you can kind of believe that that's Rimmer's plan. At that moment, that seems like that's his plan, mm-hmm. you know. And it's like you can almost believe that Rimmer's plan is so bad that it's that it involves petty bureaucracy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't believe it for a second. I knew he was just uh, showing off and being a bit awesome. <laughs> Lucky thing that they weren't aiming for the floor of the ship. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If there had been a ship underneath them, they could have have shot the floor. Exactly, but then they would have fallen out. (laughs) I'm assuming the ship has artificial gravity. They're not floating around in there. Oh, no, they would have been uh, suspended by the non-gravity in the same place as they were since... There wasn't anything propelling them in any direction, and uh, 
Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, they take care of the simul or the simulants take care of themselves. Um, and then we get really, okay, so here's one thing that I thought was odd. Okay, I, I get that if it was going to be, theoretically, the last episode, it being called The Beginning, as because it's the last episode and the big first episode was the end, there were very, very few reasons why this should be called The Beginning. I mean, what is it the beginning of? Um, well, Rimmer, it's talking about kinda. his parentage. Rimmer's that's, beginning? That's, okay. And, 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 and let's be perfectly honest, the reason it's called that is because it was a, the first ser- proper series of Red Dwarf since... Well, you know, in a very long time, and if you're releasing the episode titles to have your last episode called The Beginning, you get a lot more people tuning in, that and was it. that's it's, what it's, happened. It's but more it an does, outside the show up. reason. But, yeah. It, it, yeah. but you can make sense of it with the Rimmer plot, but it, it, it was marketing, basically. It was actually called Death Day when it was uh, it was, it was <laughs> written under the title of Death Day, and that was, that was the working title, um, which I think... I. Th- I imagine that it would have made more of the the whole the lamp the hollow lamp, and I think it, it was going to centre around it being Rimmer's death day as opposed to his birthday, as we'd already seen in Thanks for the Memory, and also with the double meaning of potentially hinting that they were all going to die. But yeah, I, I think that I my feeling with the beginning is that Doug saw it as the opportunity to use that title in a nice roundabout way, and I think it's nice because I think it does. It sort of draws a line. I mean, it's what I talked about with the ending in that it obviously it doesn't rule out there being more stories, but it sort of draws a line under that sort of era of Red Dwarf. You know, it, everything ties back to the beginning of, of the series. Um, it doesn't mean that there isn't going to be more, but maybe it means that when we do get more, it will go off in a slightly different direction or, you know, I don't know. But I think it was nice as a sort of, it meant that there was kind of a renewal of the series. You know, it's the beginning yeah. of the next chapter. Yeah, that, well, that's what I mean. I get the external reasons for calling it that. But yeah, I, I really yeah. didn't see the internal logic. <laughs> no, but I guess there's, there's no internal as, reason. As Rimmer's it. beginning, like, you know, the first episode was the end and that everybody died. Um, mm. That makes perfect sense. But yeah, so I guess and Rimmer's then- beginning. But then the very last then line. Have, I mean, yeah. one other one other thing with uh, calling it that for publicity reasons is, you know, although we all assumed that the series would be a success, there was there was no guarantee. Uh, and so, as Seb said, with a future armor ending, having it tie up like that, if it had been the last series of Red Dwarf, which you know it could have been, uh, they weren't to know that yeah, they didn't it know would get such good that. ratings. Um. Yeah. You know, it ties it up nicely. If it had been the last episode, that would have been a a great title to go out on and a great ending yeah. for that matter. Definitely, definitely. I, I think it was a great relief that it didn't end on a cliffhanger. Yeah, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah it, as I say, proper emotionally satisfying conclusion. You know, and that line of dialogue, which uh, yeah. you can you can hear a small cheer from the audience and mm. it's been pointed out to me that my voice is quite audible as one of the people going Way! <laughs> <laughs> well, well you were quite loud yeah. <laughs> I was quite emotional <laughs> sorry all I want to say is just think if we were doing this about 15 years ago and we finished on only the good yeah. that's all I'm saying you guys picked the right time to do an intro <laughs> cast on Red <laughs> Well, we were planning that for the past 15 totally. years yeah. as we've been planning this Red Dwarf intro cast before we <laughs> knew about podcasting and or anything. It. 
anything. I'd never been. Really if you guys had hated series one, would you have just stopped or would you have carried on? Uh, we wouldn't uh, have stopped. We wouldn't have no. stopped because I, I give like any series, well, for that matter, uh, Star Trek TNG. Series one was not brilliant. You know, you know this. Well, uh, yeah. yeah. It was finding its legs a bit. Um, so I, I'll be honest. It's a grisly war of attrition yeah. at the moment. It's... <laughs> uh, but you know, no, we will say that series one of Red Dwarf, just for the fact of really good writing and length, yeah. is not going to be like yeah. Star Trek TNG. Yeah, I feel like one Red Dwarf found its legs a little sooner, and even if it was a bit experimental, and they would change the show every couple of seasons to something completely different. But you know, we didn't know that at the time. But yeah, you've got. It's it's a much smaller commitment, and I figure the first series of any show has a little leeway to be kind of rough, and the fact that there were nine, ten seasons to go uh, indicates that at least some people thought that it got a lot better. So even if we hadn't liked series one, which we I, we quite yeah. did, um, I don't think we would have stopped. No. I want to I want to say this uh, when I originally put the call out to start this podcast, it was April of twenty twelve. Even though obviously I knew about Red Wolf Ten, I didn't realize how good it was going to be. Mm. So it, it would have been a downer if it hadn't been a good series. <laughs> <laughs> and I still remember you put the call out, and I put in the comment, "Well, I haven't watched Red Dwarf." And then Shane, you were like, "Okay, so you want to do it?" Okay. Sure. She told me she was like, hey, I sort of said that I would be on this podcast about uh, this show. And I'm like, okay, because we have so much free time in grad school finishing dissertations. But you know what? It's totally been worth it. And I said, yeah, but it'll only take about an hour each. It'll be fine. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, and you know, the guy that's setting this up, clearly he knows all about podcasting or he wouldn't be trying to start an intro cast. And I'm oh, yeah, he'll probably take care of all the editing and stuff. So <laughs> it's been a learning experience all around. So young and stupid. <laughs> um, but what I like about the last line, besides a reference to the first episode, um, is that one... Uh, Rimmer now has, at least in this episode, has come to accept himself as part of the slime. And yeah. two, that uh, Earth is no longer home. It's Red Dwarf that's home. Yeah. It's oh, very I, interesting I that you should say that. Yeah, there's something that, that we would want to bring up in... I think Alex and I have just had the same thought. Um, yes. Further down yes. the line, you, this will become apparent to you in a big way. But we can't say why or relating to what. But it is a thematic thing that has come up elsewhere in Red Dwarf before. And in an interesting place. I think we discussed this straight after the recording, in fact. But yeah, yeah. it's in an interesting <laughs> place that it comes up as well. Yeah. But that's all, all we can say without ruining things for you. So. <laughs> I thought we were no longer newbies. <laughs> you guys are mean. Well, there's only a few novels and three unshot un scripts to go. I mean... Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. but then there's the survival guide, the log book. Oh, the survival guide. You've got the joy of Craig Charles's The Log. You've got this magazine, comic strips, of course. <laughs> the further Stop adventures it. of Ace Rimmer in the comic strips. Stop it. Well, you know, I haven't read those, so. <laughs> 
Never read the story where um, Deb's Lister and from Parallel Universe and Ace Rimmer sleep together. That's not fiction. comic book story. There's the oh. ongoing comic strip in the Red Dwarf Fan Club magazine, which you can subscribe to right now at the Red Dwarf Fan Club. <laughs> <laughs> but then does does Ace Rimmer get pregnant? <laughs> Well, you'd have to subscribe to get the next issue to find out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you guys. At a very reasonable price, isn't it, Alex? It is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Just um, think what you'd be doing with all that time. (laughs) (laughs) Skiing or stirring? I know what I'd rather do. Um, (laughs) Before, I guess, are are we out of points for this episode, then? Other than I just think that going into the series, while quite a lot of people that that we know were relatively confident about it, I think there was also an air of uncertainty. Because Back to Earth, again, we liked it, but it was met with a bit of a mixed reaction. Not so much at the time, but certainly as time went on, people started to... Who he had said at the time they enjoyed it, their opinion suddenly changed hmm. um, and it was just a huge relief all round. I think to go to the episode recordings and see oh no it is very good thank god for that and then it meant that in the months leading up to the show airing you could have uh, the set reports on G&T uh, we were podcasting about it on the garbage podcast and people were talking about it on, on websites den of geek all manner of things and people saying no no do watch it it is good this time and it really created <laughs> yeah. an air an air of positivity that <clears throat> obviously helped because the series got very good ratings despite it being on on dave who have i'll be perfectly honest always been very good at promoting the show mm-hmm Except for that Vindaloo now thing. Yes, that was awful. That was <laughs> that was appalling. I think, but <laughs> they decided that to promote the series, they would uh, send a can of leopard lager up into and a curry. space and a curry. Into space. <laughs> it, it was actually it was, it was how they announced the premiere date was that they set up a webcam feed of this weather balloon going into space that had the transmission date written on it. So the first time anyone knew was seeing it on this thing. And they launched this balloon into space with the curry and the the beer. Uh, It did go up well. I mean, space, relative terms, whatever the the, the lower atmosphere is that weather balloons can get up to, basically. Uh, It it actually, once it got up there, once it got going, it looked quite cool. Uh, It was kind of undermined when it was discovered with the feed. (laughs) It was kind of undermined when it was discovered that it had all happened some time ago and that this was a pre-record. Yeah, it, wasn't uh, it, was, further, it was further undermined by a massive technical hitch that meant people who were watching the countdown didn't get taken straight to the video at the end of the countdown and were instead taken to a string of adverts and other videos, including a Russian woman swearing. And my, my favourite... <laughs> I didn't know about My, 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 my favourite thing of the whole event was a screenshot that James took uh, which was of the Vindaluna site with all this red dwarf stuff of what's the date going to be? And in the middle of it is just a picture of a laughing horse. <laughs> if you go and, go and find the Ganymede and Titan thread from when this was happening, because the live discussion as it's going on is quite... Uh, I didn't yeah. know about it. 
That was ill-advised, shall we say. That, that was at a time when we were trying to take a very positive uh, <laughs> writing style on Gaspacho Soup, and yeah. I think that pushed me to the limits trying to find the positivity in that. But Try, try well, being the guy who has to have a positive view all the time, even now. <laughs> I will say this, however. It's really, really fitting for Red Dwarf, as yes. one of the central missions of the Jupiter Mining Corps was to blow up enough stars to make a giant Coke ad in space. <laughs> So from yeah. that point of view, <laughs> it really is fitting that they're trying to advertise in such a weird way. Um, <laughs> there you go. There's the link. Oh, thank you. We'll have to look at that. L- listeners can't see that message that James has just sent. But, uh... <laughs> oh, um... it, includes, it includes another screenshot of a cat in a takeaway box. <laughs> <laughs> On the Vindaluna website. <laughs> I, th- I think nice. it's no secret to say that <laughs> I think even Doug was bemused by the whole thing. <laughs> I, I, I seem to recall him saying uh, that they told him what their intention was, and he went, all right, okay, not so certain myself. Oh, oh that's... Uh, oh, sweetie, what's that cat's <laughs> name? The one that's always getting into boxes, the Japanese cat. Oh, uh... Mm. Starts with an M. Mm. Yeah. I know that cat, no. anyway. No, okay. I don't know. Oh, and then when they finally got to uh, announcing what the date was, uh, they put up the wrong date. <laughs> <laughs> Maru, that's Maru. <laughs> oh, they did? Maru. Wait, what? The wrong yes. date? The date on the the balloon was correct, but when it finished, when the video feed finished, they put up a static graphic that was like the promo picture of the series, and it had the date below it, and it said the 4th of November instead of the 4th of October. Awesome. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's that's brilliant. Um, Before we move on to uh, feedback and... What not? Uh, did you want to give a quick uh, shout out or some details about Dimension Jump? Um, at the moment, we're yeah. At the moment, we're uh, running a competition to design the next logo for Dimension Jump, um, hmm. which will be coming up in the future. Uh, but we get like to get it in nice and early. Uh, so if you go to the Red Dwarf Fan Club website, you can find all the details. Uh, and if you uh, win the competition. Your logo appears on the website as well as all the banners uh, all over the hotel where it will be held and on all the DJ merchandise such as pens, mugs, T-shirts, all that sort of thing. Uh, So that's something to go and check. Uh, There's a new magazine due imminently. Uh, So if you aren't a member, uh, then I suggest go and subscribe, basically. The closing closing date for the competition is the 28th of February, am I right, Alex? Uh, Yes, I'm glad you remember that because I don't. <laughs> yeah. Oh, also, I'm trying to get on at the Ganymede and Titan forum, and they've had to shut that out too. I've got to get Capsy to add me. It's hard to get into these forums nowadays. <laughs> yes. We have to be careful about invading American newbies. Well, there you go. Oh. No, actually, that said, there was a, a spam bot that's been hammering so. fan sites lately. So we we don't have enough credentials. On the on the official site, it's mainly bots that try and post about kitchens. They try and sell people kitchens. Nice. Um, So I'd get up in the morning and find about twenty threads that had been created overnight about kitchens. And on G and T, it's the clinically insane. (laughs) That's just Capsley. Darn it, Ainsley! What are you doing? Okay. Um. Cool. 
So let's take a moment. Uh, we'll play an ad, and then we will come back and do some feedback, and then some ratings, and then some quotes, and uh, sign this thing off. Be right back. Hi, I'm Fred, and slightly subdued. And hi, I'm Nick Chess. So what you may know is that uh, we record here in our secret underground bunker, but Nutty Bites and uh, a bunch of other uh, very, very good podcasts have a second home, and that second home is CHSR 97.9 FM, your community and campus alternative in Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada. The station recently suffered some water damage to uh, some bad winter storms, and suffered a lot of damage to the to the building and the infrastructure. Now, lucky we didn't lose any equipment, but the building itself is in a sad state. And whether you're a fan or a fan of terrestrial radio or whether you're in the area or not, what you may not know is how many great podcasts this also affects. Well, currently, uh, we can't go into the station and guest on the Red Dwarf introcast, which is what you're listening to right now. And it also prevents shows like Epic from being recorded and some other really great shows that are recorded as a pre-record, uh, paraphrasing a podcast all about spooky stuff and um, ghosts and all of that fun stuff. Right now, basically, all we have is our on-air studio and one studio for pre-recording, but it's missing walls and floors and it's very echoey and sounds really bad. So our purpose today is to bring your attention to this and to ask for your support. If you enjoy great podcasts like this one and you'd like to hear more, please go to chsrfm.ca and you'll find links there to a bunch of other great shows and to our Indiegogo campaign. There's lots of great and weird and kooky uh, reward levels and things that you can get as well as helping out a great cause. And if you can't give, please share the links forward and put the word out out there that there are podcasters like the ones you're listening to right now that could use your help. So don't be a smeghead. Help us spread the word and help us help CHSR. Filthy smeggers. And as an added bonus, anyone that's listening to this that does donate, you just let me know who you are and I will write you a personal thank you note and post it on your social media venue of your choice. I might even get tech to pose if, if that's what you want. If you don't want tech to pose, make sure you tell me. If you donate and you say, hi, I'm tech, I'll do it. I'll, I'll pose for the photo with an H on my head. Ooh, I like that one. I will Sharpie an H on his head. Sharpie if I'm lucky. Wait, what, what would the other way be? I don't know. You'll think of something. Branding irons, table knives. Ooh, that does sound like fun. All right. Thanks a lot, everyone. And uh, go back to listening to Red Dwarf. And we're back. And uh, before we get to feedback, let's have another quick ad. Uh, so... Tell us about, uh, there's a sitcom in the works. What? Uh, yeah, well, it's a sitcom that exists. Uh, a Brief awesome. History of Time Travel. Uh, it is a radio sitcom, but on the internet, not broadcast on the radio, but it is in the style of an audio drama. But it's a sitcom. Uh, it's written by me and my writing partner, James Hunt, not the Formula One driver. And uh, it's a time travel comedy thing. Um, it also uh, guest stars Alex Newsom of this very podcast in a couple of episodes. Um, it's a fun kind of thing. If you like Red Dwarf and Doctor Who and that kind of thing, you may well like it. And it has Robert Llewellyn um, as a guest voice on all the episodes. He is nice. the, uh, the narrator on the series. He's, he, he's our equivalent of the book in Hitchhikers. Um, 
so yes um we we think it's fun uh it's available at uh, a brief history of time travel.com or the shortened version a b h o t t.com uh, it's on a pay as you want basis so you can pay well for technical reasons a penny is the lowest amount that you can get it for but you can get it essentially free if you like or you can buy it on itunes it's about uh about 10 pound or possibly 10 dollars i can't about seven pound ten dollars i think Nice. Um, yeah, we're quite proud of it. Six episodes, about 40 minutes each. Uh, it was funded by Kickstarter and produced entirely ourselves, uh, totally independent production, first-time comedy writers type thing. So if you like things that are funny and sci-fi-ish, which, given that you're listening to a Red Dwarf podcast, you might do, uh, and things that have Robert Llewellyn in, then uh, go and check it out. Cool. All right. Uh, so it is feedback time. Ah, once more into the breach, dear, dear friends. Let's see what we have here. We will start out with Darren. Uh, I don't know, being sick if I should even try to do an Australian accent. Um, mm-hmm. Darren says, fans megging-tastic. Easily my favorite ep since Doug and Rob split. Enjoyed it a great deal on first viewing, and has only grown in my estimation since. Uh, love the hammy and over-the-top bad guy and his main toadying lackey. Enjoyed uh, finally meeting Hoagie the Rogie on screen. Even if it took me a few seconds and I was asking myself why Luigi from Mario Bros. was in Red Dwarf. <laughs> uh, Lister is right. Suddenly so much about Rimmer makes perfect sense. And he becomes a tragic anti-hero that even Aristophanes would have been proud of, in my opinion. Uh, I personally give it a solid 9 out of 10. I just hope this revelation does inform future storylines, as it is such a perfect fit for the character. Everyone else worked into the story brilliantly, and the cast were fantastic. Thank you, Darren. Ross Bruno writes, I liked the first few minutes of the episode showing young Rimmer, but once we have stimulants, once we have stimulants, Hoagie and the city's magic space gun, one gun, I grew tired. You would be tired if you were taking stimulants. <laughs> <laughs> it's very dangerous, Russ. Uh, Chatterhead says, Chatterhead says, uh, Journey into Rumor's background usually proves successful, and this is probably the best episode of Series X. Some of the special effects for the episode were amazing, and once again, the guest cast were very good. Ewan Ancorn uh, says, a really great episode. Young Rimmer is fantastic, as the other guest characters, uh, Hoagie and the Simulants, oh, as are Hoagie and the Simulants. It's, oh, that would be a nice name for a band, Hoagie and the Simulants. Um, it's interesting that we have uh, a very rare scene in this episode where it's just between the Simulants and none of the main dwarfers in it um, at all. The running joke with the resolution to Series 8 is very funny, and a great nod to the fans. I agree, Ewan. Um, I also love the Star Wars reference in the dialogue of Revelations about Rimmer's parentage. The model sequences are brilliantly done on such a small budget. An excellent story and a very funny episode to end the series uh, X and Red Dwarf thus far. Fingers crossed on series XI. Woo! Sam Highland writes, A good episode, like a condensed version of a movie, in a lot of ways. In fact, it was a condensed version of one of the aborted movie scripts. Made at the end with no budget, it came out remarkably well with all the muddled stuff you would you could just tell that Doug called in a few favorites for Bill Person, and it's a good job. Peter Ragg would have liked how well the special effects come off in this episode. The Rimmer plot was a good one, and something different for the character. I don't like the Simlin appearance, though. It had no problem with the costumes, but the circus boards on their heads were just weird. 
Maybe Deborah eyebrows and the gaunt makeup would have been better. This is a far better ending to a season than season 8 attempt at a cliffhanger. See you on 11, guys. It's been fun. Aww. Well, I have two long uh, Twitter things, so could someone take Jonathan's? I actually love there's there's one more. Um, oh, okay. Gotcha. Sure. Yeah. Uh, let's see. And also, I just saw in our email, uh, we have a voicemail from Ian. We'll get to that. Oh, cool. Uh, Ian Swallow. So, Jonathan says, Look out, Internet. The intro cast has reached the outro. Uh, the beginning is a great episode for you to round out your journey through all the real episodes currently produced for TV. Uh, thank goodness you didn't have to end on only the good. My fondest mm. memory from watching this episode recorded is seeing Richard Okalalalalahahahahan on set as Hoagie the Rogie. Um, I loved his performance in Back to Earth and wondered about this character since the commentary on that show and the movie rumors mentioned him. Those hints, now revealed as a great addition to the world of Dwarf, a great, great guest star, but on the day his costume meant he could hardly see, and it was equally amusing watching the people who had to escort him onto the set, aw, and getting him through that door, uh, oh, that's one word, doorway on camera, uh, on the day was a big task. Uh, You've come a long way, guys, since those claims of use nicked my website name. (laughs) (laughs) I look forward to remaining, uh, the remaining outro cast on red dwarf and other media. Thank you, Jonathan. Yeah, that was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. (laughs) Back to Star Wars again. Uh, on the Twitters, we have, um, let's start with hers first. Uh, Claire, says, uh, I rank this number nine in the Silver Survey. I love it. The guest stars are note perfect. We've heard so much about Rimmer's horrific childhood, but apart from Dimension Jump, we haven't seen much of it. Uh, We get just enough here to confirm he wasn't exaggerating, so it's all the more satisfying when he's able to reject their way of thinking at the end. Also, Hoagie is hilarious, and I hope we see more of him. This is a wonderful end to the series, but I still can't wait for the new scripts, which Doug's confirmed he's writing right now. <clears throat> Liz Richards, <clears throat> excuse me, Liz Richards says, set-wise, the simulant council room and battle battle prove much can be done with so few raw materials if right talent is there. All the players are in top acting form here. The core four are awesome. But the assemblage of guest stars are uh, also shine. I think at least some of this was another last-minute script, but a world of difference between this and Dear Dave. Now that you've seen everything, do you have a favorite episode uh, of all aired in 26 years since the show anniversary was yesterday? Wow. Wow. That's a big question. (laughs) I will have to think on that before I answer. I, I will answer eventually. I seem to remember you um you really liked Stoke Me a Clipper. You see, that's the one that immediately popped in my mind as one that uh, I thought not only as good for Red Dwarf, but also good for just television watching. Mm-hmm. Like, just all of television. It's, it's definitely a good one. Um, I suppose besides that one... Marooned still comes to mind, mm. um, as does, and apparently this is a controversial one, but uh, 
as does our uh, oh the Kachansky counter episode Duck Soup Duck oh. Soup oh Duck Soup was awesome yes um, those three are kind of sticking in my mind really all of the Ace Rimmer episodes um, yeah as far as my very favorite I really can't but I, I'm indecisive so it's hard to say I'm sure we'll be coming to that back to that point uh, down yeah. the road um, let's yeah, see I, we, we can uh, I, I think I can play it live here Okay, um, I have not pre-vetted this, so if Ian Swallows starts just uh, shouting out profanity, I will have to go back and edit. But I'm, I, I, I don't think that's going to be the case. We'll see. We'll see. Here we go. Hi there, Red Dwarf Introcast. It's Ian here from down below, the Babylon 5 Hi. Introcast. I thought I'd send in for the very last episode a bit of feedback. So <laughs> this is the last time for the Dwarfers. This is our very last episode, The Beginning. Anyway, <laughs> it was a great episode. I've forgotten how good it was when I saw it again. And, yeah, there's a little bit of boring stuff at the beginning. I'm not talking about the very beginning here. The very beginning, the prologue was brilliant. Just a little bit of cringeworthy humour. Not too much of a fan of that myself. But it's still fun getting backstory on Rimmer. And then the rest of the episode. Oh, I loved it. And getting real development on Rumor's character, whether that will stick. If we go forward and have anything else is another matter. But still, I just loved it. And it's brilliant. Sorry, I'm squeeing here. Yeah, oh, so much fun. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I'm going to listen to the commentary now. Bye, guys. Ah, oh. adjust my mic, please. Thank cringe-worthy. you. Cringeworthy. What, what, what was cringeworthy? Um, I'm not sure now what he may be referring to. And, Angela, I think you commented on this as well, but. Um, the whole, like, Kraken coming into the room and is like, oh, can I tidy up while the the atmosphere is being no, sucked out uh, yeah. into space. Okay, that was a bit of a of a one-note gag. But really, I think in, in any other episode, it would have been just a good laugh that we pass on. It's, it's, this episode was written so tightly, and every line was, was so uh, well-calculated that I'm not sure that that particular gag fits in this episode. Yeah, I only I'm- cringed at the Crichton stuff because... Uh, especially around a uh, series six and seven, he was usually the one who was like, "Okay, we need to do this, and we, this is how we fix the ship." And having him just completely ignore that the ship is being destroyed, then that was awkward. I thought. I, I, think, I, wonder I think, if, think that if would have played better if the laughs <laughs> had been louder, because uh, th- mm. that scene they showed us a very rough version on the night of recording. A lot of stuff was just very roughly hastily cobbled together things just so the audience could see something, including that. And the laugh doesn't quite sit right on that scene. Uh, it, it seems too low against the wind machine. I, I reckon it wouldn't seem so jarring if the laugh was higher. Mm. Nice. I just wonder if he was talking... I mean, if he was talking about cringe humour as opposed to something being cringe-worthy because it wasn't good, did he mean sort of maybe the simulants, like the first simulant scene with the stabbing, that's kind of cringe humor. Oh, so maybe, maybe that's the kind of thing he was talking about. Maybe, yeah, maybe. maybe. Yeah, I love that myself, but yeah, maybe that's yeah. Myself, yeah. 
self survey. Have you have you guys looked at that yet? No. Have a guess where it come. I have been thinking about that, and I'm going to say, okay. given when the silver survey was, and uh, that to me, in a very solid series with series ten, a few okay episodes and some very good episodes, this one I think is brilliant. And I'm going to guess it's about number 12. Okay, and are there any predictions on that one? I'll go with him. 26. Wow, I'm, I'm surprised. The highest of 10, by yeah. some yeah. way, I think. Yeah. I think Trojan's next. Oh, not that far, actually. Trojan's 30, Two, isn't it? Yeah, but, yeah. Um, so below all of Series 3. Um, but above all of seven, eight, back to earth, and a good chunk of the rest. Okay. Okay. I would put it higher. Person, I'm pretty sure I had this top ten, but um, when I voted, I mean, dear Dave is way too high on that list. Forty sixth. <laughs> I like dear Dave, but I like the Subutio thing. So you know, it's I saw dear all Dave through- before. I saw Dear Dave before it went out on TV because I had to review the DVD for the fan club uh, and I knew I was out on the night of the airing and I remember watching that and thinking oh there's some big laughs in this this episode will go down well <laughs> yeah similarly it went, it went down alright at the, at the recording of the, um, the the two episodes that were, that were shown to an audience uh, four and five um, they both went down fairly well but Dear Dave went down better than Entangled in that room it's above all three parts of Back to Air. I wouldn't put it there, but I love Back to Air. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, maybe it's just because I put it dead last. But I think I think <laughs> your voting screwed up a lot of things. To be honest with you. <laughs> well, I, well, if you look on you the skewed survey, the bell curve, James. <laughs> if you look on the survey, I actually worked out that my my ratings did actually have a little bit of an effect. Um, <laughs> back in the Red Part 2 would be one place further down um, Back to Earth Part 2 would be under Back to Earth Part 1 Cassandra would be below Entangled and for this you're worse than Hitler oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what, what we can take hey. from this James no, no God freeing the conversation <laughs> is that your opinion is wrong and you should feel shame. I'm not, I'm not the only one. <laughs> Talk to us As we have often been told. <laughs> I'm keep, not the only one. I keep reminding people there. it was three of ten. <laughs> she initially said two, point. but it gained a point. It, it gained a point because to be honest, uh, backwards. I, I uh, actually think that, I mean, people try and say that there is a consensus about certain things with Red Dwarf. And even, I mean, and even back in, uh, Ganymede and Titan's been guilty of this and be guilty of this when I was there as well. You know, the assumption that everyone hates Seven and Eight or, or that kind of thing, and Eight in particular. <laughs> One of the good things about Red Dwarf that you have to say is that while there's close to a consensus on some things, like, you know, Back to Reality will pretty much always win episode polls. And if it doesn't, Gunman of the Apocalypse will. But generally, people take such different things out of it and you know there are people who like myself who think that series two is still the peak um i know people who hate series six and i love series i don't understand people who hate series six there's such split opinion on seven and eight i actually like that you know it is possible to have that range of opinions it shows that basically every episode of red dwarf is doing something right for somebody you know i think there's no twin dilemma in (laughs) in red dwarf you know there's also a generational aspect i mean i'm i'm 
was it six years younger than you are and james is slightly younger than i am and most people i know of of our ages have far less issues with seven and eight than most other people i know and that's because those were the series that that we were joining the show with mm. more or less um, I made the, this point on the uh, Ganymede and Titan live show over, just over a year ago. S- same with Doctor Who. Mm. I mean, I, I love Sylvester McCoy, the Doctor. He was my Doctor when I was growing up. But some people say that's the worst Doctor, so... Well, Who people. says that's the worst Doctor? <laughs> Come on. <sighs> He's awesome. I like Sylvester McCoy quite a lot, too. Yeah. At, at Dragon Con, he does Ace. commentaries... Yeah, at Dragon Con, he does commentaries for yeah. episodes that he's been on. He's funny. It was nice. Yeah. He has done, he has done one for Dragonfire, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I got his uh, uh, signature on my TARDIS. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, um, back to Doctor Who. No, no, no. Back to Red Dwarf. <laughs> <That's, that's, that's, laughs> um... Where are Back we? To uh, we've done feedback. Uh, oh, I guess we are to our actual ratings since we're pretty much talking about that anyway. Um, <laughs> guests go first. Let's go alphabetical again. Alex. Um, well, I'm, I'm with Seb. I place it quite high. I mean, there's a lot of people who say that we aren't far removed enough from it yet uh, to judge it. But I, I think there's a lot of very good gags. I think it's got one of the best guest casts of any episode. And I think the character stuff is, is pretty strong. So I would give it, uh, nine forks and a pencil sharpener. Nice. (laughs) (coughs) Excuse me. I'm so sorry. I wasn't quick enough to my mute button that time. Um, (laughs) James. Um, well, I I think the best way to tell if, it's one of the all-time greatest episodes of Red Dwarf, is if you rewatch it far more than any other. And Fathers and Sons in the beginning, I rewatched them far more than the rest of this series. So it, it is one of the best. But it's just not quite perfect. So I give it nine endings that aren't rubbish, like only the good out of ten. <laughs> Cool. Seb? Um, yeah, I mean, well, I already kind of gave it away yeah. <laughs> just how much I yeah. love this episode. I mean, again, I wouldn't say it's perfect. And the reason I wouldn't say it's perfect is that while it does have a lot of funny bits, particularly the bits with the simulants, overall, it's not the most laugh out loud funny episode of Red Dwarf. Um, that's the only sense, in, and I don't even think it's the funniest episode of Series 10. That's the only sense in which it isn't perfect in my book. Um, and as the series-ending piece of fan service, the episode that's aimed at the fans, the episode that is Doug knowing what we love about the show and giving us it in spades, I just I absolutely adore it. It's just, yeah, it's just superbly written. It helps that it focuses on Rimmer particularly. I love that ending. It got, I got genuinely emotional at the recording, which I do find it a bit difficult to separate from that. But I think just objectively, it is a fantastic episode. It is Red Dwarf at operating at close to its very best. Uh, so for that reason, I would give it nine and a half out of ten important looking bits of simulant innards. Nice. Shane? Again, uh, I have to be with everyone else on this one. Um, I really do like the episode. It is right up there with the best Red Dwarf has ever done. Um, so I'm going to have to give this nine and a half out of ten Star Wars references. <laughs> cool. 
love? Um, I really liked this episode, <laughs> like quite a lot. Uh, my actually my expectations had been fairly high, and it met my expectations, so that was good. I, I was happy for that. Uh, so I am going to give it uh, the rare prized 10 out of 10 um, fashionable bow ties. <laughs> <laughs> um, I loved it. I loved it a lot. I think it was a really good note for this for the entire series to end on if that turns out to be the case, but hopefully not. Uh, very good season under then. Um. And in, in at least the American nomenclature. Um, uh, I thought that, yeah, they they put a lot of thought into it. Uh, good guest cast, good jokes, tightly written. Uh, very few dead moments for me. So, anyway, uh, 9.5 out of 10 string games. <laughs> and the only way that it could have earned that other point five would be if... Chansky and Holly had showed up at the last second for some odd reason. <laughs> <laughs> and Holly. Yeah, I said Kachansky and both Holly. Holly. Oh, both Hollies. Oh, sorry. Yes. Both, yes. Okay. both Hollies. Okay. Holly, Holly, and Kachansky. <laughs> Attorneys at law. Um, <laughs> so, that is what we thought. Hey, if you want to send feedback, I guess send feedback on something. Uh, tell us how great we are. Yeah, there you go. And we'll, I guess, reveal. <laughs> Tell us how many more things we need to read and watch and <laughs> buy and on second find thought. And no, don't ever do that. No. <laughs> um, we will, I guess, cover what else we're going to be covering soon. Uh, in the meantime, it is time for quotes. And I have to admit, I watched this episode twice and loved it, but I didn't really write down quotes. But I'll come up with something. Um, does anyone have quotes? Yep. Yep. Hit it. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. Ah. Apart from pain, and maybe humiliation, and obviously death, and failure. But apart from fear, pain, and humiliation, failure, and the unknown, and death, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Nice. I've got to go with this one. You killed my brother! <laughs> I have an idea, sirs. Why don't we look out the window? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, I will go with the not uh, not actually spoken, but um, you're a guinea pig. You're a baboon. <laughs> four eyes. <laughs> Impudent grin. Uh. <laughs> Every everything's the likes of which you've never seen with him. Do you doubt me? I'm just saying, you'd be surprised the likes of which we have seen. Don't be so quick to say everything's the likes of which we haven't seen. We've seen things the likes of which you probably haven't seen yourself. Is that the challenge? <laughs> Craig, Craig Charles was not that scouse this series. <laughs> um, okay, I, I, I've got one. Um, because this one just made me smile. It's the way of all things. You live, you die. But sometimes you live, you die, and then you live again. I know. I've done it myself. I love like, that. Like, heck yeah, you have, Rimmer. Because it wasn't just Rimmer, it was the show itself. Yeah. <laughs> that had lived and died and lived again. 
And I, I want love... teach. Uh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I just love <laughs> that. I, was I love... into one there. That was that was what I actually liked about uh, series nine. Um, well, I call it series nine, whatever you want to call those three episodes. But back to um, Earth. Yeah, yeah. Back to Earth is that. I get that if you're trying, if you just want to sit down and watch a good episode of, of Dwarf and have a laugh, it's not going to be your cup of tea. But just a sort of a tribute and love letter to the series, and Doug's sort of message there of how his series has sort of come to life, and that he... It's 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 really, you can see his passion for it. And I, I, I like that about it. Hmm. And that, that that quote sort of evoked a similar thought with me. Anyway, sorry. Go on, then I will do another one, then. <laughs> I want each member of my council to think for themselves, not just agree with my every word and whim out of some pathetic, boot-trembling terror for self-preservation. Question my judgments. Debate me, yeah? Only then will we be truly strong. Oh, Dominator, that simply isn't true. I mean, the last person to contradict you was killing... Kill him. <laughs> Um, I don't quite remember the wording for it, uh, but... Um, you know what you must do. Yes. Write <laughs> <laughs> me a formal letter of apology. Firstly, polish, polish my, my sword, sword of, of spite <laughs> as a punishment for your idiocy. You do have a tendency to jump to conclusions. Let this be a little lesson to you. <laughs> we need a better system. <laughs> Just polish the sword, sir. Not, I don't know... Commit Harry Carey. <laughs> that bit looks important. <laughs> and of course, the uh, the defining line of the entire episode. Mm. Crichton, set a course for Red Dwarf. The slime's coming home. Aww. Oh, um... Right. You're on report, Milado. Dear Geneva, I was scandalised today <laughs> when the simulant death ship... <laughs> it's the word scandalised <laughs> two forks and a pencil sharpener now there is a rumour that there's a stick and some string sir but I don't want to raise false hope nice not me I steal while they slumber I clever as a hedgehog <laughs> if you can see me I'm doing the towel folding hand gestures for Crichton <laughs> what would be me <laughs> and what kind of competition would it have to be for me? Well, anyway. <laughs> you think that was an accident, the way I... Shh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for the last time, sir, just because you happened to... You're doing my bad. <laughs> uh, I was going to ask if you had watched to the end of the credits. Oh, we did. We were staring at each other in wonder at just how good an ending it was when that came back on. So, And then... <laughs> I have to say, when I was listening to the commentary, I was like, please tell me they've watched the end. Please tell me they've watched the end. And we did. Anyway, one more quote from me. Arnold, I am not your father. <laughs> Goes without saying, I won't be sending you any more birthday presents. Oh! <laughs> Look inside yourself, and you will know I speak the truth. <laughs> oh! Wow. All right, a cooking competition. Who can bake the most no. delicious cake? No. We'll thrash you. Not if it's a short pastry or want. Shoe pastry, big talk. 
I did. I didn't manage to get to the end of your commentary in time for the recording of this. I listened to some of it, but I didn't get through all of it. But uh, I loved your reaction when the words "cooking competition" <laughs> came. <up. laughs> like, no, not a cooking competition. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't our thing. Wasn't our thing. Yeah. Don't don't diss. Can't smeg. Won't smeg. Yeah, it is. We shall. It's what we right. want. What? Oh, um, a billion piece jigsaw suddenly falls into beautiful place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, oh, and of course there was the um the bit that some people objected to, where Lister was saying that Rimmer's last words were "mummy, mummy," and you had some people who were actually saying, "But no, they weren't his last words," because yeah, they, they weren't. Lister was taking the Mickey out of him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't they see don't, how people missed that. <laughs> they're watching a comedy and they don't understand the concept of a joke. <laughs> <laughs> but no, because if you see at the end of series one. <laughs> oh. Also, of course, we don't know which version of Rimmer this is, so this version of Rimmer ah, might be there you go. different. <laughs> this may be a completely different third version of Rimmer. Then yeah. <laughs> happened to die in a very similar explosion. Could be from another parallel universe. And it could be that for every episode of this series, we've gotten a different alternate rumor <laughs> as <laughs> dimensions have been sliding all over the place. To be fair, there's there's a pretty solid theory uh, around Red Dwarf in certain areas of fandom that you can split every time the series drastically changes its style, that what you're looking at is a different parallel universe. So from two to three, <laughs> from five to six, that six, um, everything after six takes place in a reality bubble. You know, there's so many theories that basically all of Red Dwarf can be alternate dimensions, and that's how you explain the continuity things. I, I think that the Stasis League future crew are in an alternate universe and we could still revisit them because they're actually an alternate timeline mm. I think the Stasis League crew are the evil future selves from, <laughs> from out of uh, time from out of time, they could be, yeah so they've been Mustaches wiped from time now yeah. Yeah. do have beards and, and facial hair, yeah but then who did shot, shoot JR? is <laughs> <Because> he alive? <laughs> and in that dimension then Maggie Kachan- Simpson Kachansky was very different so, yeah, it's all about alternate dimensions with Red Dwarf. Exactly. It's all a rich tapestry, <laughs> which explains why they have a very different history with Kachansky in the first time that he mentioned her, and later on, yeah, yep. how he had never <laughs> yep, slept with exactly her. That. It's exactly that, and it's nothing to do with the fact that Rob and Doug had written the books and found a better way. Yeah. <laughs> they basically changed their minds and went, oh, it's a bit immature that he's pining after her when they didn't even have a relationship, so they changed it in the books and then just quietly worked that into the series. <laughs> yeah. Because you, you, know, you know when the books were published? Do you know about you know the sort of the timeline of that? I, I, I looked it up once. Um, yeah, so it's sort of, it's, it's between two and three, basically. Okay. So and like, they wrote the first and second book together and then they sort of had their split and then wrote the yeah. third and fourth book apart. And the third and fourth book each are sequels to the second book yeah. in alternate timelines. <laughs> Which also happened with Return of the Living Dead. No. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, don't want to go on a tangent. <laughs> it's the last episode well not quite the last episode yeah. but you should be able to go on it's, your it's the last proper episode an episode a proper episode doesn't bounce <laughs> um alright so that about does it for us I think wow what a journey 
Um, mm. So glad that you've all gotten this far with us, those who are still hanging on. Um, <laughs> uh, hey, Shane. Uh, yes. What? What's What's next? Uh, next what are we doing? Uh, next, we are recording the spoiler cast next week. Okay. Uh, Can we so be on we, it? <laughs> spoiler cast for series eleven. <laughs> uh, just uh, put put your mic up a little bit, Shane. You're drifting. That should be better. There we go. There you go. There we go. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, yeah. So the spoiler cast is recording next week. Um. Then the next episode after that is um, an an unmade episode called Body Snatcher. Body Snatcher. Okay. How are we going to be experiencing this thing? Basically what they've done is that they've storyboarded it. Okay. uh, And Chris Barry has done the voiceover. Okay. Okay. Uh, they're all available on YouTube. I will be forward you uh, the first episode when we finish recording. Nice. It's a very similar experience to listening to Chris Barry read the audiobooks. Cool. Which uh, I highly recommend you listen to uh, Chris <laughs> Barry reading the audiobooks because it's an entirely different experience to reading the books yourself. I know the. Uh... I recommend. I recommend Craig reading Last Human slightly less. <laughs> no, oh. no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, I remember back in uh, was it was it Queeg where Chris uh, where Rimmer had the glitch and then was doing impressions of all the other crew members. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I know he can do it. <laughs> his uh, I I actually don't think his Craig is as good as some people think because I don't think he does the right kind of Scouse accent, but. I think his Robert and Danny impressions are absolutely fantastic. But I he is an impressionist by trade. Yeah. So I can't judge anyone Norman, for not being able to do Craig Charles. So. <laughs> <laughs> the weird thing is actually because, um, obviously, in the novels, you have the Crichton story, as in the story of the meeting Crichton, but... Um, Chris does the Robert Le- Chris doesn't do the David Ross voice for the David Ross part. Mm. So you have Robert's voice done by Chris delivering lines of dialogue from the episode Crichton. That's surreal. Weird. Although you know, I guess when I like think back on Crichton, it is kind of hard to remember. Well, because I haven't you know rewatched the series as much as a lot of fans um, at this point. But yeah, it's hard to remember David Ross's performance when you've had this mini series of, of Robert Llewellyn's mm. Crichton. Mm-hmm. I, I remember back to a time when you were worried about that recasting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I remember Keanu Crichton. <laughs> Keanu Crichton. <laughs> oh, it took some getting used to. It did. Yeah. It's such a weird accent. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. Blue midget is loaded. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I said we should come after you. <laughs> oh, wow. Keanu I should, I should say at this point we were scheduled to record something else, but unfortunately I'm, I wasn't able to find it in time. Oh. But hopefully we'll be able to re- revisit that somewhere down the, <coughs> down the road, so I won't You're be... You're never to- going to be allowed to stop doing these. Shane is going to keep finding things for you to do episodes about. It's like, no, really. We need to listen to all of Robert Llewellyn's uh, feminist lectures and talk about them. 
You could do an intro challenge. There's sweets. Yeah, and then we have Chris Berry's cars. We have yeah. I struggle wars. The Red Dwarf Eater Z. <laughs> all right, guys, we need to wrap this up. Okay, well, thank you uh, all for being here, Alex, James, and Seb. Thank and you for having us. It's been a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Um, and we hope that you all out there will go to reddwarf.co.uk and Ganymede and Titan and Dimension Jump and uh, watch uh, A Brief History of Time Travel and do all of the things that we've been talking about. Yes. Listen, listen to a brief history. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes. Well, Just you watch know. it sat there in iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> never, never listen to it, but just just look at it. No, I want you to. I want you to watch it in yeah, audacity. Look at it. It's a very nice artwork. Put, put it in audacity, and you can see the the wave forms, the little wave forms. Um, it'll be awesome. Oh God, not those <laughs> um, <laughs> memories. In the corner of my mind. Um, and then also, uh, definitely First Contact. A lot of fun. I don't know if it'll be as much fun when you get to what are typically considered the stronger episodes of TNG. I don't know. We're filled with a lot of hate. So. <laughs> <laughs> Season 2 starts out with a fair few stinkers. Mm. So. No, 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 please don't. I'm, I, still, I, I'm still having nightmares. I, I'm sure I can find stuff to grumble about. It's fine. Awesome. I have confidence, guys. Um, all right. Well, uh, check us out next time uh, with the spoiler cast and then eventually these unfilmed script things that we're apparently going to be reviewing next. And uh, we'll, we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.